Good evening. Biden welcomes Sweden and Finland into NATO, a Brooklyn gun buyback. What is the great replacement? Diversity and abortion on Capitol Hill. And George W. Bush tells it like it was. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Thursday, May 19th, 2022. The group of seven economic powerhouse countries agreed today to provide Ukraine with $18.4 billion to pay its bills. Ukraine's Prime Minister Denis Shimtal says the support would speed up Kyiv's victory over Russia. He says it's just as important as the weapons you provide. The pledges rolled in uh, the pledges of weapons rolled in today as Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced he's authorized 100. Of $100 million in additional U.S. arms, equipment, and supplies for Ukraine. The past week has seen Russia secure its biggest victory since the invasion began, with Kyiv announcing it had ordered its garrison and its steelworks in Mariupol to stand down after a nearly three-month siege of the city. Meanwhile, President Joe Biden threw his support between Sweden and Finland's bids to join NATO in the wake of Russia's invasion. Biden was hosting Swedish Prime Minister Magdalena Andersson and Finnish President Sauli Ninisto at the White House. It's not only a beautiful day, it's a very, very good day. Today I'm proud to welcome and offer the strong support of the United States for the applications of two great democracies and two close, highly capable partners to join the strongest, most powerful defensive alliance in the history of the world. Two proud, independent countries exercising the sovereign right all states possess to decide their own security. President Nisto, you are, uh, and Prime, Prime Minister Anderson, Anderson you're, uh, it's a great honor to have both of you here at the White House as Finland and Sweden began the process of joining NATO. Now, as the president earlier today, Finland and Sweden's move reverses generations of military non-alignment and is the biggest shakeup in European security for decades. NATO member Turkey has objected, accusing the two Nordic states of harboring Kurdish militants. Closer to home and not quite as violent as Ukraine, the city of New York, in particular the borough of Brooklyn, is hosting a gun buyback this Saturday. Gun owners are allowed to bring their weapons, no questions asked, no ID necessary, just use a bag or a box, to a location and receive a $200 gift card. In Brooklyn, the location is Emmanuel Baptist Church, 279 Lafayette Avenue, and that's from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. on Saturday. You also get a free iPad, and you don't even have to be from Brooklyn. WBAI spoke with Brooklyn District Attorney Eric Gonzalez earlier today. Having another gun buyback. It's taking place in Brooklyn at Emmanuel Baptist Church, 279 Lafayette Avenue. It's between the hours are between 10 and 4 p.m. Um, and just want everyone to know that it's open citywide. Does not matter where you live. You don't have to live in Brooklyn. Uh, it's close to transportation. There's a train on the corner. There's a bus on the corner. Um, so it's easy to get to and uh, we'll be paying money, no questions asked, uh, to a $200 gift card for people who surrender a, a gun. And with our partner being Junior's Restaurant from Brooklyn, we're also providing an iPad for people. So you'll get money, you know, a gift card with money on it, and an iPad, no questions asked, no identification required. 
we just ask that you transport the gun in either a paper bag or a box. Um, and, uh, you know, we're looking to get as many of these illegal firearms off the streets as possible. Right. And, you know, this morning I was uh, at my other gig coming back early and I was out at Church Avenue in Brooklyn and I saw something frightening in a way because I saw basically a lot of young men unemployed out in the middle of the day where they probably should have been working, if not at school. And I saw a fight break out, grown men getting into a dumb fight that turned into a fist fight and a beatdown. And one person got beat up pretty bad and then escaped with the help of some other people. And I thought this is these kind of situations that could ex- turn into something what we're talking about here right now and the use of weapons to settle honor and things like that is there a way that this plan that you have to buy back guns can deal with these kind of problems that are in our communities such a great question about how we prevent violence and we know that whenever there's a, a gun available uh violence can really escalate quickly and including someone being shot or you know killed and so getting guns off the streets is the highest priority for my administration we want brooklyn to be safe we want to make sure that uh we fight this the scourge of gun violence and we're going to do that by doing a lot of different things we're going to do trafficking of illegal guns from down south you know try to prevent the flow we're gonna we have a unit in my office that's working on you know, eliminating some of these ghost guns that are being created. We're doing traditional law enforcement prosecutions with the NYPD and gang takedowns and getting some of the guns out of the uh, members' gang member hands. We're prosecuting people with illegal possession. But this is a really an opportunity to get a lot of the guns that would be used in crime out of the homes of people who have them. I've been told over and over again that it's very hard for a person to get rid of an illegal gun. You can't just call the police and say, hey, I have an illegal gun in my house. I'd like to turn it in. Um, People believe that the police are going to ask them a lot of questions and possibly someone's going to get arrested or get in trouble. And so this is an opportunity to get guns off the streets, no questions asked. And, you know, not only will we take that gun off your hand or rifle or shotgun, but you also get an opportunity to, to get the gift card and to get an iPad. And so it's a pretty good deal. But more importantly, uh, Paul, to your question, this gun buyback is driven by community. I said Juniors was a partner. The church, Emmanuel Baptist Church, one of the great churches in Brooklyn, is a partner. We have other community members and elected officials as partners. This is the modern-day way that people are trying to prevent violence. Finally, your feelings, your gut feelings about what happened in Buffalo the other day. It's heartbreaking and it's outrageous and it's a real call to action to make sure that some of the loopholes that allowed that uh, young man to get the gun in the high capacity ammunition holder that had been outlawed, I think since 2007 or 2004, there's a lot more to be done here in Brooklyn, I'm going to be making some announcements on how I'm going to try to combat some of that online stuff. Uh, so maybe I have a chance to talk to you soon about that, Paul. But be mindful. You know, we always say if you see something, say something. And I-
Brooklyn District Attorney, he spoke with WBAI today. In a Buffalo courtroom today, a spectator shouted coward at alleged shooter Peyton Gendron. The 18-year-old is accused of shooting 13 people, 10 fatally, in a Buffalo supermarket frequented by black shoppers. A prosecutor announced that a grand jury had handed up an indictment against Gendron, although it wasn't immediately clear what the charge was and how many counts were listed in that complaint. The hearing lasted about four minutes and came five days after the suspect's arrest at Topps Friendly Market, a grocery store in a predominantly black neighborhood. Uh, Gendron posted before the shooting a manifesto justifying the attack as a response to something he called the Great Replacement, a point of view circulating on social media and popularized by numerous commentators and mostly GOP politicians that falsely claims Jews are trying to replace white people in America through open immigration. The most prominent cheerleader for the Great Replacement, uh, Light, version meant to be more palatable but still odious is promulgated by fox news host tucker carlson an expert on fascist movements in the united states is heidi byrick who's a co-founder and chief strategist for the global project against hate and extremism i spoke with her today great replacement what made it such a big deal and why is it becoming uh, so prominent where people are shooting people down in the name of it i mean i'm terrifying the guy's writing in his manifesto i'm doing this on purpose to to terrify black people that they don't go and use supermarkets yeah well you're right that this kind of thinking has been bubbling out there for a long time among white supremacists so it's not necessarily a new thing what has changed Recently, one is that a Frenchman, Rene Camus, wrote a book called The Great Replacement, which gave this idea, this lie, essentially, that white people are being replaced in their home countries with people of color, gave it a name. And the second thing that matters is that politicians have mainstreamed this idea. And, you know, we can point to Donald Trump talking about Mexicans as invaders or invading the United States as an example of that mainstreaming. And it's really not surprising that as this idea has proliferated on social media, come in the mouths of conservatives, that we've just had a series of attacks. And, you know, it's not just the horrors of Buffalo this weekend. It was the El Paso, Texas attack, the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania synagogue attack. And actually, this is a worldwide problem. You have politicians mainstreaming this stuff in France and England and other places. And as a result, we get violence like Christchurch, New Zealand and the mosque shootings. Saw a recent report. It was really interesting that the manifesto is the key to this. That this is using by using the media, by using Facebook and Twitter and all these kind of things. That he these people get a sort of immortality through their written screeds that they put out there in their rants that get passed around. That's exactly right. They want the notoriety of these documents, whatever you want to call them, manifestos to live on and we've seen increasingly mass attackers this includes anders brevik from some years ago 2011 who killed dozens of young people in norway he believed in these same kind of great replacement ideas to dylan roof's manifesto there he was the charleston south carolina shooter in 2015 of course the el paso texas shooter left the manifesto so did the christchurch shooter and the scary thing about this is each manifesto seems to build on the next one creating this horrific chain of additional terrorist incidents. Are these lone wolves influenced by the Internet through like a vague association, let's say, using the Internet? Or is there a hand behind this? Is there somebody or some people actually behind all this stuff? As far as we know, these people have taken their actions on their own. But I think the term lone wolf 
gives an sort of an indication as though everything they did, every reason they came to the decision to do this mass attack was on their own. And that's not true. I mean, they live online in dens of wolves, right? The failure of Facebook and Twitter and others to moderate their systems means that they're, you know, essentially consuming hatred at incredible amounts. This particular attacker in um, Buffalo started consuming this stuff on the internet when the pandemic hit, which I think has been an accelerating factor as people were locked in their homes, reading the web incessantly. And really, if we don't get control of the online space and get politicians and influencers to stop spreading this stuff, there's just going to be another Buffalo and another one. There's already been many. Just was actually talking with the district attorney of Brooklyn just moments ago about some of the same material. And what he was saying was, well, well, there's things we can do. He would just say and leave it at that. Like, well, if there were things you could do, how come you haven't done them yet? What needs to happen is Congress needs to take some steps to regulate these tech companies. And frankly, I really wish the GOP, where they have so many people running for office spouting this stuff, would not allow it. You know, Liz Cheney spoke to this fact, the GOP congresswoman from Wyoming. We need to suppress these ideas, denounce them, put them in the fringes where they belong. And there's a lot of reasons that this has to happen at the tech level in politics and so on. But that's what needs to be done. I'm a little sick of watching a massacre occur because I've been watching this for too long. And we hear it's so terrible what's happened. This country's against hate. And then no action. Heidi Byrick, she is a expert on fascist movements in the United States and co-founder and chief strategist for the Global Project Against Hate and Extremism. I spoke with her earlier today. And Israel will not launch a criminal investigation into the killing of a United States Palestinian journalist, Shireen Abu Akla, which Palestinian officials and witnesses have blamed on Israeli soldiers. In a statement released today, the Israel Defense Forces claim that because Abu Akla was killed in an active combat situation, an immediate criminal investigation would not be launched, although an operational inquiry would begin uh, or continue. The Biden administration and the U.N. Security Council have called for a transparent investigation. But today, Pentagon spokesperson John Kirby sparred with reporters who asked, what would the U.S. reaction be if it turned out Screed was killed by an American-supplied weapon? Israel is America's largest defense partner in the Middle East. The subject did come up in the breakfast, and the secretary welcomed Israel's intent statement clear statement of intent to investigate this uh, he, he welcomed that Sorry, that they, hey, they saying they will not investigate it they refuse is, to the, the, the government of israel it's not for the israeli military i believe it's in their in, ministry of interior and they have stated a clear intent to investigate and the secretary welcomed that uh, that investigation and uh, obviously uh, we look forward to seeing what the investigation finds out but I'm not going to get ahead of it or speculate about what the outcomes might there be. There is a bit of room for concern, considering it is Israel that is accused of killing uh, the journalist. And if it was another country, let's say, that killed an American journalist, maybe the U.S. wouldn't be so welcoming to allowing for that country to investigate itself. Let's say it was Iran or... Yeah, Another look, I, I appreciate the chance, uh, the opportunity here to get me to speculate about investigations that haven't been started for events that haven't happened yet. We welcome the fact that there will be an investigation. We've made clear we want to see this investigation be thorough and transparent and complete. But I also don't think it serves, serves anybody's purpose to get ahead of it when it's ongoing and it hasn't, it hasn't concluded. So 
let's see what the investigation comes comes back and, and what it says. But it did come up in the conversation. John Kirby, the Pentagon spokesperson earlier today, according to a report in the Haaretz newspaper, the Israeli military police branch has accepted the assurances of Israeli troops that they were not aware she was in a village adjacent to the Jenin refugee camp when she was killed on May 11th. U.S. lawmakers today grilled Food and Drug Administration Commissioner Dr. Robert Califf about a nationwide baby formula shortage that's left parents across America scrambling to feed their children, calling the agency's response a dereliction of duty. Califf is the first FDA official to testify before Congress on the shortage, which has sown fear and frustration among parents across the U.S. and prompted lawmakers from both parties to demand answers. The pandemic, the war in Ukraine, and labor supply issues have all had an impact, and I can assure you FDA has been working tirelessly to address this issue. This week, we've set up a mechanism that streamlines the ability for companies that do not normally sell infant formula in this country to do so and provides other flexibilities to domestic distributors who can help increase availability. I want to be clear. Under this process, an infant formula would only be imported after the agency reviews the product and determines the product is safe and provides adequate nutrition. Safety is paramount. Robert Califf, the FDA commissioner at the center of the nationwide baby formula shortage, is a single factory. Abbott Nutrition's plant has been closed for more than three months because of contamination problems. On Monday, U.S. officials announced a deal with Abbott that paves the way to restart production at the Sturgis, Michigan facility, the largest in the United States and source of leading brands like Similac. But it's not yet clear how soon the site will be up and running. An even bigger question remains unanswered, including what caused the contamination and whether U.S. regulators could have alleviated the current formula shortage by stepping in sooner. Food chief Dr. Robert Califf addressed the deal with Abbott Nutrition as well. A consent decree, a permanent injunction was entered between the FDA and Abbott Nutrition. Under the consent decree, Abbott has agreed to take actions overseen by FDA and independent experts that will result in an increase of infant formula products and ensure safe powdered infant formula is produced at the facility. As you also know, yesterday the president invoked the Defense Production Act to ensure that manufacturers have the necessary ingredients to make safe, healthy infant formula here at home. Dr. Robert Califf. In mid-February, Abbott announced it was recalling various lots of three powdered infant formulas from the plant after federal officials began investigating rare bacterial infections in four babies who were fed formula. Two of the infants died. It's not certain the bacteria came from the plant. Strains found at the plant didn't match the two available samples from the babies. The company halted production while Food and Drug Administration inspectors conducted a six-week investigation of the plant. And in another story, today on Capitol Hill, there was a hearing into abortion laws. Representative Madeline Dean thanked anti-abortion advocate Catherine Glenn Foster, who had an abortion and later says she regretted it for telling her story, but criticizes her for trying to take that choice away from other women. Dean asked Glenn Foster, why impose your regret as the law of the land? Ms. Glenn Foster, I have compassion for you, for your continued sadness your regret over your abortion. Thank you for sharing that story with us. It's something we all need to think about. But you had a choice. I'm sorry you regret your choice. No one forced you to do what you did. You had the right to make a choice. And now you work to impose your regret as the law of the land. 
banning everyone else's choice. Just to warn you, this is a comment only, this is not how our rights work. This is not how our Constitution works. Your regret is not to become a ban and the law of the land. I thank you and I yield back. Representative Madeline Dean speaking to anti-abortion advocate Catherine Glenn Foster. And there was another hearing as well. The House Oversight Subcommittee was looking into uh, the question of these assaults that have been going on against uh, teachers and students as part of this movement against uh, by the right wing against uh, critical race theory and the fallout and a- that that has caused. Uh, one of the more interesting, uh, they were all very interesting, but a very interesting testimony was from Claire Mengel, a uh, just graduated student who went to Ohio High School, Turpin High School, a, r- a place that's uh, 90 percent white, uh, where she had never had even a uh, person of color as a teacher until she took a Chinese language course, her and other students got together and they tried to organize a diversity day at the school. The council, which is controlled, the school board in the area, which is controlled by conservatives, held an emergency meeting and voted four to nothing to prevent the event, the diversity day, from being held on school property with school monies. The students responded by raising money, raising $13,000, twice what they originally wanted to, and held the event off campus. But uh, as uh, Mengel says, it was much less, had much less impact than it would have if it had happened in the school. She spoke about that experience and her reaction to it today before the committee. The CRT rhetoric by the school board is causing immeasurable stress on our students and staff. The board's actions have also taken a toll on our teachers and administrators. The superintendent announced his resignation after the first postponement. Our teachers are scared. I have had teachers whisper to me that they wish they could take a sticker that says Protect Diversity Day, but they fear repercussions. Something has gone very wrong when teachers think they will be fired for supporting the concept of diversity. Most critically, students of color are being told by the highest authority in their district that their stories don't deserve to take up school time, school grounds, or school resources. I bring up mental health to remind you that this issue is, in many cases and in many ways, life and death. I ask you, shouldn't we as students have the freedom to learn in school about different cultures, perspectives, and backgrounds? Our event is not about CRT. Our event is about diversity, learning about it and celebrating it. The school board brought politics into our schools when they attacked our event. Their actions have harmed our education, our mental health, and our community. Some of the testimony earlier today, uh, another uh, more testimony came from a Dallas high school who had was forced to resign uh, because of disputes with the uh, community, with the board of education or the school board in his district. Um, It was part of the settlement agreement uh, between the principal and the district, which the school board signed off on in a special meeting. Uh, And after uh, Whitfield, this uh, principal was put on administrative leave, uh, the allegations uh, referred to were insubordination. But uh, he says, in fact, the real reasons was his promotion of uh, diversity in the school. Things can get when people with nefarious agendas come to town. The lies, the bigotry, the intolerance, the racism. Never mind the fact that they don't know you or even care to know you. They have an agenda, and your mere existence 
threatens that, so they come after you. Here's what keeps me up at night. We're losing Ms. Duffy's and Coach Carmona's and Coach Stevenson's left and right as educators continue to be asked to do more with less, all while navigating the complexities of their role and enduring baseless attacks by individuals with political agendas. Processes for addressing concerns through procedural means have been overridden by the loudest, most fanatical factions in our communities. Teachers are met with interpreting vague legislation, which speaks to not making people feel guilt or anguish. Educators who pour their heart and soul into the growth and development of young people have been placed squarely in the crosshairs of political groups who are determined to destroy public education. They face bullying, they face calling for their jobs, they have faced death threats and hate mail. They have reached points of frustration and exhaustion that I've not seen in my near two decades in the profession. To be crystal clear, this is about disrupting and destroying public schools. James Whitfield is a Dallas high school principal who was fired from his job. And in another hearing, Dan Bishop, a congressman, uh, confronted Dr. Yashika Robinson, who is a pro-choice advocate. He constantly asked her, what is the definition of a woman? But I just thought you could answer the question. What's a woman? I think it's important that we educate people like you about why we're doing the things that we do. And so the reason that I use she and her pronouns is because I understand that there are people who become pregnant that may not identify that way. And I think it is discriminatory to speak to people or to call them in such a way as they desire not to be called. Thanks for that. So it's important that we respect each individual person. Are you going to answer my question? Can you answer the question, what's a woman? I'm a woman. Yes, I'm telling you, I'm a woman. Is that as, as, a, as comprehensive a definition as you can give me? That's as comprehensive as a def- definition as I, as I will give you today. I because said, I think that it's important that we focus on what we're here for, and it's to talk about access to I abortion. I see. So you're not interested in answering a question I ask unless, and answering a question that I ask unless it's part of a message you want to deliver. Is that right? Is that right? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sir, what I was trying to explain to you is that I had a difficult time hearing you since we were talking at the same time. And that was the uh, hearing today in front of the House House Committee of some sort. Um, last last point, I want to squeeze this in. George W. Bush was at it again. He uh, got up to give a speech about Ukraine, but the truth came out for once. In contrast, Russian elections are rigged. Political opponents are imprisoned or otherwise eliminated from participating in the electoral process. The result is an absence of checks and balances in Russia and the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. (laughs) Iraq, anyway. uh, (laughs) 75. Former President George W. Bush at it again. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul Durienzo.